The Art of the Ohm by Z. N. Bud Dist From Volume 160, Number 1 of Speculative Grammaria in October 2010 Despite the fact that, contrary to my expectations, I did not receive a request to be an invited speaker at the CELGA workshop, Perspectives on the Morphome, this month, I thought it important for me to reveal my important work in the important field of homology, of which the study of morphomes is but a minor, somewhat important component. As others have given adequately clear descriptions of morphomes, that is to say, sufficiently clear so as to avoid the derogatory label, gibberish, while not so clear as to have to endure the dangerous label, falsifiable, I will presuppose familiarity with that concept. As Weaselflinger 2008 has pointed out, some advances do draw attention, but the attention itself remains localized, and the wider significance of the advance isn't recognized for quite some time. The morphome is exactly such a case, underappreciated and underutilized. In fact, we can readily and productively generalize from the concept of the morphome to other areas of linguistics and bring omic-style analyses to bear on other phenomena. For example, so-called snow clones, named after the cliched half-truth that Eskimos have X words for snow, or even more general forms, Xs have Y words for Z, are syntactomes, unless they are semantomes. Either way, the value of such analysis is clear. The Interpreter's Dictionary of Linguistic Argumentation is nothing more than a catalog of linguistic argumentomes, many of which are specializations of snow clone semantomes. Yes, they are probably semantomes. Sure. Even the productive phonological meta-rule of ohm name formation, instantiated throughout this article, can be seen as a morphophonome. Morphophonome should not be confused with phonomes. Thanks, anonymous reviewer. Phonomes should not be confused with the phone-ohm, a unit of extraterrestriality used chiefly in the UK. Contemplation of the meta-ness of this omic rule is a first step towards a potential philosophical paradox, similar to Russell's antinomy, i.e., the question of whether the set of all sets that do not contain themselves contains itself or not. Namely, does the set of omic entities include omic meta-rules that generate omic entities? We avoid this problem within our framework by defining antinomes, not to be confused with an antinome, which is any entity not amenable to, or of no interest to, a generativist analysis, such as fine phonetic detail. As I was saying, we define antinomes as metaphorical philosophical containers that may or may not paradoxically contain themselves. By subclassing antinomes as black box ohms, we avoid confronting the philosophical singularity by making it unviewable. Because of the unfortunate commonness of ohm and own endings in English, the many homophones and near homophones that appear in the discussion can confuse matters. Rather than bemoan that state of affairs, we can reclassify uses and mentions of certain types of puns, eggcorns, mondegreens, and some phonological hypercorrections as homophones. An excerpt of a poem by Thomas Hood, from Faithless Sally Brown, illustrates the use of homophones. His death, which happened in his birth, at forty-odd befell. They went and told the sexton, and the sexton told the bell. A different, apparently anonymous poem illustrates a different poetic omic form, which should perhaps be called a lomeric. There once was an X from place B, who satisfied predicate P. The X did thing A in an adjective way, resulting in circumstance C. Humorous lomerics may be thought of as a specialized subclass of joke-ohms, of which a more general example is given here. How many members of a certain demographic group does it take to perform a specified task? A finite number, one to perform the task and the remainder to act in a manner stereotypical of the group in question. Further contemplation of the various omic levels which we have considered here leads naturally to the concept of the ohm-ohm, which after several minutes of contemplation leads to the ohm-ohm-ohm, which leads inevitably to the ohm-ohm-ohm-ohm, etc. At this point, Zen linguists and transcendental linguists may need to consider the nature of the ohm-ohm and its role in coming to terms with the oneness and ohmness of everything. Or not. For the mathematically inclined, such contemplation must inevitably lead to ohm to the n, obviously modeled after Weaselflinger's concept of ux to the n, which is certainly an omen of some sort. This is indeed a complex concept, 
compare double struct capital C, the set of all complex numbers, which is probably infinitely infinite, compare black letter capital C, the cardinality of the continuum, and allows for multitudinous combinations, compare the function C, the combinatorial operator. By the powerful but subtle method of induction, this leads us to consider the applicability of this subclass of mathomes, namely C-ohms. Clearly, the entire concept of morphomes, and more generally ohms, is C-omic.